Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. Mark Magnuson and Riley Smith will be joining us later in the program. Russ Park will be coming up here later in this segment. Let's go ahead and run down a few of the headlines we were watching this week. Brazil's Ag and Livestock Ministry says beef exports to China are temporarily on hold after a case of mad cow disease was confirmed in one of the northern states called Pará. Reuters says the suspension is part of an animal health agreement made between the two countries and likely won't last long. However, it is a hit to the bottom line of the country's farmers as China is the top destination for Brazil's beef exporters. Minister Carlos Favro says all measures are being taken at each stage of the investigation and the matter is being handled with total transparency to guarantee Brazilian and global consumers the recognized quality of their meat. The symptomology right now lends itself that this could be an atypical form of the disease, which appears spontaneously in nature and has no risk of dissemination to the herd or human beings. Peraz Ag Defense Agency confirmed the disease case. And according to the Ag Outlook Forum this week, USDA released some information that shows that we could see lower ag incomes on the farm here in 2023. Between lowering crop prices and sky-high input costs that don't look to be assuaged anytime soon, we could see lower than normal incomes than what we've been used to. Carrie Latowski is a senior economist with the USDA Economic Research Service, and she talks about the numbers USDA has released. We're forecasting that farm sector income had reached record highs in 2022 and will decrease in 2023 as commodity prices fall and total expenses remain elevated. First, net cash farm income in 2023 is forecast to increase about 20% relative to 2022. Net farm income is forecast to decline about 16% in 2023. Matt Bennett of AgMarket.net joined me Friday on the Opening Market Podcast and said this situation's been on the horizon for some time, and if farmers were caught off guard, then they probably weren't paying attention. I think whenever you start looking at the carry out of that 1819 level, there's no doubt that people uh, raise their eyebrows and say, oh gosh, you know, this might really turn. Well, we've been talking about that for quite some time. It's a, it's a um, tight old crop situation and a little bit... Uh, less tight, obviously, as far as new crop. It could be burdensome, in fact. Uh, and so whenever uh, the market continues to struggle to rally, you can't really break through some of these uh, levels that we've been trying to break through over the last uh, several weeks. You can find more of our content online at iowaagnet.com. That's it for the headlines. Now we turn things over to Russ Parker and his faith-based Food for Thought. This time of year... Nature puts on an incredible waterfowl display. The other day I was driving up to Des Moines and saw thousands of geese hovering and circling over what seemed to be a random field. I'm assuming that they were feeding on corn that didn't make it into the combine. And during an early morning this week, I saw a pair of white swans leaving the marsh and winging northward to some destination that somehow they knew internally how to navigate to. And my neighbor and I exchanged texts the other day as we watched thousands of blue and white geese flying westward to the Nebraska basin. And from there, they'll take a right turn and head northward. 
and later this spring the other migratory birds will arrive. The red-winged blackbirds always seem to be the harbingers of spring, followed by the robins and the pelicans, as they make their flight in never-ending circular pattern, pushing northward by the springtime southern breezes. And sometimes, I think our own human lives can be compared to a migration. If we consider a migration is the act of getting from one place to another, it makes sense. But there is an element of time involved. I'm not talking about what happens in the short term, like taking a, gr- a trip to the grocery store, but rather what happens in a lifetime. And so, an example of a migration could be the result of a job change, or moving to a warmer climate, or getting closer to the grandchildren, the kind of life events that take us from one place to another, and I believe are all part of God's plan. Like those birds who, by instinct, are seeking a destination, or those life events that take us to new places, so too are our faith journeys. A migration of maybe a different type, but nonetheless a journey that takes us from one life experience to the next, all with a plan and a purpose, and an ending destination. In John we read, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And to that I say, fly with Christ. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that's going to do it here for segment one of Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Mark Magnuson joins the program. Winter weather may have forced the postponement of the Innovation to Profit Conference, but it can't stop the Iowa Soybean Association from bringing you the tools, resources, and information aimed at helping you find success for your operation. Join Iowa Soybean Association research staff for a live webinar on Thursday, March 2nd from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. to begin building your game plan for success. Register today by visiting IASoybeans.com. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. Mark Magnuson on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and today I'm joined by Courtney Nupp. She is Vice President of International Markets Development with the National Pork Board. Courtney, that title, it kind of tells you a lot that you need to know, but could you tell us what you do in your day-to-day job with the NPB? Sure. I have the great honor of working for our our pork producers in this country and an integral part of of providing value and driving new opportunity is our export markets. And we're really excited. We've been focusing on differentiating our markets. And that means having access to as many places as possible. We'll export to almost 100 countries in a year, but really investing trade promotion dollars to make sure that we're driving more value for those products. And so our big focus has been a lot of work in the Western Hemisphere and and Southeast Asia, 
And we are very busy as we are working with our producers each and every day to make sure that we're implementing the right tactics and differentiating U.S. pork compared to other competitors. And Courtney, I'm sure one of the best ways to get to know a market is to visit there. And today we wanted to talk a little bit about that, some trips that have taken place already, some upcoming trips. How important are these trips for getting a feel of what the country that you're visiting is like and just the overall appetite for pork in that country? Super important in international marketing to be in the markets themselves. Each has different needs and insights and demand factors of which drive opportunity. It also helps us to know how we work from importing to further processors, then adding value and branded products and retail and food service. And no one is better at promoting our products than pork producers themselves. It's great for the, to bring them in market, to meet directly with our customers. And also we invest a lot of pork checkoff dollars in the international space. So they need to see and evaluate the return on our investment um, from the hard work that we're doing in the space. So our calendar has been very busy and will continue to be very busy with international travel. But getting producers boots on the ground is one of our strongest marketing tactics. So, Courtney, how do you develop, how do you decide what that developing market is to target for expanding U.S. pork into that market? Is it just the pure demand? Is it the readiness for um, United States pork to go into that market and hopefully expand things? Yeah, constant analysis and forecasting, not just on markets, but all the global conditions and factors that happen. Uh, last year, we had a very strong dollar. There's uh, foreign animal disease spread. There's geopolitical situations and all that provides changing factors and what we call opportunities. So as we look at a market, we're always looking at what's their current consumption of pork, what's their domestic supply of pork, what is their um, likelihood of increasing pork, and we invest dollars to do all of those things because if we can grow the pie, we can win with their domestic industry and their need for imported product um, where we can amply compete. So that's how we assess our markets and those biggest priorities for volume, value, and a diversified product mix are how we prioritize and target our funding. So Courtney, I know there's always just a few, a handful of markets that you're really focused on trying to expand into as kind of newer markets or emerging markets. What are those markets right now? As you mentioned, exporting pork over to over 100 countries, but what are those markets that are right now kind of in those, taking those baby steps towards U.S. pork expanding into that market? Our big focus in 2023 is really honing in on what our strategy and go-to-market approach will be in Central America. And the reason we're targeted there is because we have the full implementation of our free trade agreement, the CAFTA-DR, and our free trade agreement with Panama. And that region of the world, when you add up their population across multiple countries, is an equivalent size to Mexico. Mexico is a huge success for us, and we're always seeking new partners where we can create consistent demand. And in this case, especially when it's so close to home. So it really gives us a lot of advantages and good partnerships uh, just in the hemisphere in general. So that's where we're largely focusing, but we also are seeing a lot of work in Southeast Asia, uh, our traditionally strong markets of Korea, Japan, and Mexico. Um, but we're pretty busy and, and focused. We always have an eye on Africa as well. Uh, we're getting new access in there slowly but surely. We just achieved access to Ghana. And so with that, we also want to keep an eye on their cold chain capabilities and their ability to import product and uh, receive a perishable item like frozen pork. So it's a, it's a busy world, but there's a lot of opportunities and no one provides or produces a more quality, consistent, or the most efficient and very cost competitive. So U.S. pork is definitely 
well positioned. And then Courtney, shifting gears here before we wrap things up, year-end export numbers. Let's talk about how pork did in 2022. Were numbers just big picture? Was it a good year for pork exports? It was a very good year for pork exports in 2022. There were a lot of headwinds uh, in the global dynamics. We had a very strong dollar and uh, we faced a lot of fierce competition because China wasn't buying a lot this past year, hence diversity being very important. We landed the plane at a top three export year, which is just phenomenal. Uh, we were just over, just under 7.7 .7 billion in volume, or excuse me, in value, and in volume just at 2.67 million metric tons. Um, so it's really important. We also look at this not just year on year because 2021 was a record year. We're looking at the five-year average because as we come out of a post-pandemic world, what's our new normal? And we also look at the data with and without China. And so we're seeing consistent growth in value over time of our products, value per unit, and very strong performance on volume. It still encompasses 27.5% of our production. So it's a, it's been a good year. And Courtney, just with the talk of emerging markets, trying to get into those markets and have U.S. pork be a big part of their marketplace, do you still see a large amount of room to expand? I do, especially when we look at um, you know high protein um, products such as variety meats, things we don't eat here. That's an easy barrier a way to enter a market and then start building demand for things like the loin and the shoulder and the ham. So there's ample opportunities as markets develop and consumers get more income. They like to spend that in their grocery baskets and that includes the purchasing of meat and poultry. And we viably wanna compete in that space. So there's huge opportunity in developing markets. She is Courtney Nupp, Vice President of International Market Development with the National Pork Board. Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Have a great week, and we'll hopefully speak again sometime soon. Thank you so much. That was Courtney Nupp, Vice President of International Market Development for the National Pork Board. Up next in segment number three, Riley Smith will wrap up as he talks autonomous planter technology with Salen 24-7. You're listening to Weekend Ag Matters. Hi, my name is Lauren Botine, and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for four and a half years now. The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it allows employers and customers to have a peace of mind knowing that they have a trusted agronomic advisor and partner helping them in the field. The CCA program's rigorous continuing education, informational updates, and highest ethical standards provides comfort to customers in the field knowing that I am equipped to address various agronomic topics and trends. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Today we're talking with Dave Krog. He's the CEO of Salen 24-7, an autonomous machinery company. And we are talking about today their new autonomous planter prototype. First off, Dave, just tell us a little bit on kind of what led you guys to thinking of an autonomous planter and, and kind of how you've gotten to this point. Yeah, Riley. So we started about two years ago, but I, I've actually been thinking about this for uh, several years, probably 10 or 12 years, but it really came about, um, I grew up on a farm and, and uh, kind of know all about things like soil compaction. And so it was really, the idea was to start addressing soil compaction, getting bigger equipment off the field and 
and replacing it with smaller equipment, lighter weight equipment, and but but not not giving up capacity to get work done, whether you're planting, spraying, whatever it is. Um, so in order to do that, you know, you might go smaller, lighter, but you need, if you're gonna not give up capacity, you need multiple machines. And so if you have multiple machines, it's actually important to be autonomous. So we're, we're autonomous. So um, our machines are operated by software and guided by GPS. And, uh, but yeah, the idea is to, there's different benefits, but the, it started really to address soil compaction. Right, obviously an ongoing project, uh, still things that you guys are making changes to and, uh, and figuring out how things work. Uh, so let's just think of, of this planner we have here right now. What are some of the things that are, are kind of uh, stand out uh, from this? Obviously, there's a lot that stands out from a regular planner, but some of the things that you would like to point out. Yeah, so it's a prototype, for, first of all. So it's a four-row, 30-inch row planter. We started with the planter, but uh, we also want to do other things like spraying and side dressing and things like that. But we started with the planter. Uh, we, we intentionally started uh, simple. So it's a four-row, 30-inch rows. Uh, it's, it's electric powered. And so we rely on electric motors for pretty much everything on the machine. And, uh, and the energy comes from a battery. So we actually started out with a battery swapping approach. We've now gone to more of a hybrid approach where we have a generator that keeps the, uh, the battery charged and then we don't have to do battery swapping. But, so yeah, we, uh, uh, it's, it's designed in a modular way. So we can actually take this planter off and then we can put on like a, a tank and a boom and now we have a liquid system, autonomous liquid system. And that could be for uh, pre-plant spraying, post-emerge spraying. One of the things that we really want to work on right now, this year, is uh, side dressing nitrogen. So the idea is that with lightweight equipment, you could get in and get your side dressing done, whether it's wide drops or using coulters. No matter what the, the weather conditions, uh, even in wet conditions, you could get in. So. But anyway, uh, back to the planter. So uh, we're not quite there yet in terms of all the components we want in place. We actually think a docking station is going to be very important. So a docking station would be used to autonomously refill the seed in the case of the planter, fertilizer and chemicals in the, in the case of the liquid system. Uh, we're working on uh, putting that together. We hope to have somewhat of a prototype proof of concept in the next uh, few months on that but um, as far as the planter we use traditional row units we actually have white row units here uh, part of the agco we use uh, a lot of precision planting technology we use their 2020 monitor we use their v sets their v drive so that the row units are pretty standard that you could get on a, any normal uh, any normal uh, planter um, yeah, other things um, in, in terms of kind of uniqueness, we, we actually started with tracks. Um, so if people have seen some of our videos from last year with the prototype in the field, we had four tracks. We, uh, we actually had some trouble with the tracks in turning. And so this year we're actually, we put wheels on the, on the machine. We're going to go to wheels. 
but we we learned a lot last year in terms of being in the field so we're actually the machine that we're building right now that'll be in the in the field this spring uh, is a little bit different design and it addresses some of the issues we had but um, one of them was the uh, the tracks we're a, we're a skid steer machine uh, we're going to go with skid steer again this year but next year our plan is to actually have all wheel steering and once we get to all wheel steering we'll probably go back to the tracks because the tracks do have a quite a bit of value in wetter wetter soil conditions and some of the things that we want to do in wetter soil conditions. Well, of course, always good to have that option as well. And, and when it comes to especially, you know, the idea of it being autonomous, uh, a lot of producers may be wondering of if it runs into issues out in the field, especially you're looking at spring, you know, you're looking at muddy conditions, you never know what could happen there. How does the planter handle that? And I mean, are there points, whether it's uh, implemented already or obviously if you have plans to in the future, how will it let the farmer know, even if they're not there, of, of potential issues coming up? No, that's a great question. We, we actually half of the farmers we talk to ask that question <laughs> so it's it's pretty important and we recognize it's important so i guess the first thing to say is you know we, we're using the precision planting technology so within that uh they collect a lot of data in terms of planter performance and all that we we monitor that pretty closely so we can watch that pretty closely and if there's an issue for example, if a planter unit stops planting, we know that right away and it'll it'll stop. But there are things, so when we are, the first field we planted this past spring, last year, um, we were watching it pretty close, but we got corn stalks caught in the, uh, in the closing wheels. So we, you know, we saw it right away. Okay, stop, pull the corn stalks out and then go again. But if the planter's out, off on its own all day, you know, how do you, how do you know when corn stalks are caught? Um, we don't have it in place yet, but our plan is to actually use uh, cameras and computer vision. So the computer vision would watch for problems, basically. And, and it's not trivial to get to do that, but there's, there's some basic things that visually with a camera, it can see, so to speak, and then see that there's a problem. And then if there is a problem, if it thinks there's a problem, it can stop notify a farmer or somebody that there's a problem you know maybe at some point it could actually fix the problem but but uh, the first step is recognizing the problem and we we plan to use cameras for that and, and there may be other things as well like radar and and uh, lidar and things like that other sensors that could be used all right, and then obviously let's talk a little bit more. We've touched on this already on how farmers will be able to use this on their operation. Uh, you mentioned being able to use these in fleets. Uh, obviously, since we're looking at four rows instead of a much larger planter, just having the, uh, the logistics of that to work. So ideally, when you guys get down the road where this thing is finally finished and, and you know, you're able to get that into production, what would it look like on just a regular Iowa farm? Yeah, good question. And it's probably going to look different on one farm versus another. So we've had, again, we, we're we kind of going down the path of having multiple machines on any given farm. It's very scalable. A farmer might have one, two, or several. Uh, some farmers have told us they like the idea of having several of these machines, but, but on different fields. So maybe one per field across six fields, for example. 
maybe that doesn't work on every farm. Maybe you want six machines in the same field. There, there's actually some trade-offs in, in one of those approaches. Um, but ultimately, it's going to be multiple machines, whether it's in one field or multiple. Um, so if there's multiple machines in the field, our vision is actually to use um, the computer to manage those machines. And there's a, there's a concept called uh, machine learning, reinforcement learning, um, that can be used to, to manage the, the machines in the field. So that, for example, we want to have a docking station. So say you have four planters in the same field and you also have a docking station that's say moving across the end. How do you, how do you manage all those things? Uh, it's very difficult to do by just uh, what we would call hard coding in, uh, you know, navigate paths, um, path planning. But if you let the computer figure that out, what, what's the optimal way to plant this field with all these different uh, agents? You, you basically, there's a training exercise that you use with machine learning in order to uh, to get things done optimally. So anyway, that, that's kind of broad vision of where we want to go. It, it has to be easy for the farmer. And, uh, you know, as much as we can, we want to have an easy button. Uh, there's a lot of complexity behind the scenes, but but we want to try to make it as easy as, as we can for the farmer. All right, Dave, lots of great information. Is there anything else about this uh, planner that you would like our listeners and viewers to know today? Yeah, so we're based in Ames. Uh, if, you, if you're in central Iowa and uh, you want to see close up what we're doing, we'd welcome farmers or whoever to come by our, uh, our shop in Ames or just contact us, uh, email, uh, phone. We'd, we'd, we love talking with farmers and, and people about what we're doing. All right, Dave, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today, and uh, good luck as you uh, continue to uh, develop this project. All right, thanks, Riley. That again was Dave Krog. He's the CEO of Salem 24-7. And that's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Mark Magnuson, and Dustin Huffman, I'm Riley Smith, wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters.